0: (laughs) Have fun. Well, again, welcome, everyone. Glad that you're here. Take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. During our time of fasting and prayer, we've been emphasizing three different verses, one for each week. Uh, The first week we emphasized from Joshua the passage that says, Consecrate yourself tomorrow, today, for tomorrow you'll see that God's going to do great things. So the idea of consecration is the idea of setting yourself apart for some purpose that God will use. It's like um, in the Old Testament they would take a table, for instance, and they would consecrate the table and say, This table is no longer just a table, this is a table dedicated to God. And they would use it in the temple or tabernacle or someplace in their house and say it's now been set apart for a holy purpose. Well, that's the idea with you. You have been consecrated. You have been set apart. You do it in the sense of you allow God to do it for you and do it through you. He won't override your will. He wants to have you join in with his purposes on this earth to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. So you say, God, I want to be consecrated by you. I want to be used by you as an instrument of righteousness in your hands. That was the first week. Last week, we looked at the truth from Hebrews that we're to look to Jesus in every step of the journey. So we set ourselves apart, we look to Jesus, and then today, this week, we're emphasizing the concept that we live by the Spirit. And we're looking at Romans 8.5, which is the key passage from... Uh, This week of prayer, and what does it mean to live by the Spirit? For those of you who have attended Fullness for a long time, you know that we are a church that emphasizes fully the Word of God and the Spirit of God. The Word of God and the Spirit of God. Um, That we want to receive everything that God says, but really the only way to live the Christian life is by the presence and power of the Spirit of God who indwells you. You can't, I can't uh, do it on my own. No matter how smart we think we are or how strong or how diligent we are, we're still weak when it comes to being able to do and to follow after God The only way to live the Christian life, Christianity, is all about relationship. I said it earlier, we'll emphasize it over and over again today, that the enemy's goal is to try and get you out of relationship with God and into this idea that you can do this all by yourself, that you can be a Christian if you just think hard enough, if you try hard enough, if you do hard enough, then you can can be a good Christian, and for some people, they, they can get down the road a ways, but it's like trying to travel from here to California and not being able to get out of Alabama. You're not going to make it. You, no matter how strong, some of you may get a further. Some of you may get to Tuscaloosa. Some of you may get to Mississippi, God forbid. But some of you, uh, just kidding, that was for Sarah. Um, we're still going to fall way short, way short, of being able to do what God wants us, wants us to do. Only by his might and his power can we accomplish what he wants us to accomplish. Romans 8, um, one, one author said that um, if, if all of Scripture was a ring, then Romans, the epistle to the Romans, is its precious stone. And if that's the case, then chapter 8 would be the sparkling point of the jewel. Uh, This is a, not just a key chapter, some people would say this is the key chapter about what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ. How do we live our faith? Who are we? Jesus said to the woman at the well that God has created us as spiritual beings. That the true worshiper is the one who worships in what? Spirit and in truth. Spirit and in truth. And that the only way, because God is spirit, we must worship him in spirit and in truth. In Romans 8, the word spirit, the Holy Spirit, is used 21 times. That's more than any other chapter in the entire Bible. Uh, So if you want to know what does it mean to live the spirit-filled life, come to Romans 8. Look at Romans 8. What does it mean to be a spirit-filled follower of jesus christ and it goes beyond gifts it goes beyond healing it goes beyond the things we consider supernatural in relationship with the holy spirit it is about the foundation of who we are in christ we are now spirit-filled beings i love the book of romans and so please pray that i'll just narrow things down to what we need to talk about today in romans 8 but in Romans 5 Paul starts by talking Paul starts by talking about this he says for if by the trespass of the one man who's the one man that he's talking about there he's talking about Adam if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace of the gift of righteousness And you should underline this verse in your Bible, reign in life. Reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Just Here's verse 21. Just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The end of chapter 5, Paul says you have the opportunity to reign in life. You have the opportunity to have victory in this life. That because of what Adam did, his sin, death reigned in your body. Death reigned in you. You were a slave to sin and death. But because of what Jesus did, you now have the opportunity to reign in life. It's a great passage. And in Romans 6... He hears their arguments like, well, what about death? What about us being a slave to sin? What about?" And he addresses their arguments about why they can't reign in life in Romans 6 by saying you're dead to sin and now you're alive to Christ. And then he hears a further argument about the law. What about the law? The law keeps telling me what I shouldn't do. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, and I keep falling short. So in Romans 7 he addresses the argument about what does it mean to overcome the law. We've overcome death. We overcome the law. If we don't overcome those two things, we can't reign in life. And so he addresses the ideas of reigning in life. And at the end of Romans 7, he he even talks about what the law has done to him. He says, I I know the things I ought to do and I can't do them. The things I don't want to do, I end up doing those. Anybody want to? Testify, men, the things I don't want to do, I end up doing, and the things I should do, I can't do. He goes, who's going to deliver me from this law of sin and death? Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ, because he's given me victory. It's all through Christ. And then he comes back in Romans 8 and picks up where he ended at Romans 5. How do we reign in life? And this is where the therefore comes in. Where he says, therefore, here's verse 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so, he condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Verse 5, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death. But the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. This is a long and very rich, very rich scripture passage. And I'm just going to hit the mountain peaks of this passage, and I pray that you'll delve into it a a little deeper as the week goes along. Look through it about all the, the richness of what does it mean to live a life according to the Spirit. Ultimately, however, living by the Spirit is doing what God directs us to do, being empowered by Him. It is a life of victory. What are the areas of victory that we have as a result of living by the Spirit? Well, first we have victory over sin. Victory over sin. Again, if you're a guest with us, we have the outline in the bulletin if you want to fill it in or follow along, or you can just listen whatever you feel like God is directing you to do. First point, though, is we have victory over sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Condemnation... Uh, We all know condemnation. Most of us have walked in some form of condemnation for large portions of our lives. Many of us battle feeling condemned, feeling like we're failures. Failures as a father, failure as a mother, failure as a a husband or a wife or a child or a student or a worker or whatever. And when we feel like we're failing, then we generally also feel condemned. There's this spirit that comes on us, this thing that comes on us that says, you, you are a failure, you're no good. And as a result, the spirit of condemnation just jumps on us continually. Condemnation is the opposite of justification. Justification says, I am, in a spiritual sense, I am right before God. I am right in God's sight. To be condemned means we are not right in God's sight. And because we're not right in God's sight, we're at war with God, we're condemned. Paul says that we are prisoners, those who were condemned, we, we have been set free. The chains have been broken off, the prison doors have been opened, and now we are no longer condemned. We are free people. And Paul's implication here is quit living like a prisoner. You've been set free. Now live free. Uh, one of the movies I've always liked is a movie called Shawshank Redemption. It's a little rough. Uh, watch it on TV if you're going to watch it because, you know, I, I don't recommend movies. So, um, but in this movie, part of the idea of the movie is people have been in prison so long that when they get out, they have no idea how to live as free people. They, they, want, they do things in order to go back to prison. Because prison they understand. Prison they can relate to. The prison system they kind of got. As crazy as it sounds, they did things on purpose to try and get back in prison after they got free. We have been set free. And Paul's, Paul's begging the church in Rome, live as free people. Don't live as those condemned. Back in chapter eight, uh, 5, verse 18, he said, Consequently, just as a result of one trespass was what? Was condemnation. Because of Adam's sin, we were all condemned. We were born condemned because of Adam's sin. We were born into sin. We just can't help it. We're sinners. And so we were, as a result, condemned. So also the result of one act of righteousness is that through Jesus Christ, we were justified. Meaning we were made right. That brings life for all men. The true Christian is the one who is in Christ. That's a phrase used over and over in the New Testament that when we come to know Jesus Christ, we are in Christ. Um, We're either in Adam, in Adam, or we're in Jesus. And in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 and 21, Paul says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. One of the great truths of the Christian faith is that you have been transferred out of being in Adam, meaning being condemned, into Christ which means you are now free. And we need to have our mindsets changed so that we know that at every moment of every day we are now in Christ. I don't know if I can articulate this very well, but let's say that let's say that last night you went to some really powerful meeting some powerful church meeting where the spirit of god was moving and you came out on fire you know you were like wow god was here i am i am a holy man of god Uh, i i am filled with god's presence filled with god's power god rules god reigns this is awesome and the next morning you get up and you start to pray you, you you say I'm going to pray, and you start to pray. And about three minutes into your prayer time, you've run out of things to pray for. And all of a sudden, you're thinking, "Man, I should be able to pray more than three minutes without losing interest, without thinking about what I've got to do today, or focusing on the on the moment." And suddenly, this this thing comes on you where you're like, "Wow, I I am not a very spiritual person." And then you pick up your Bible, and you've been reading your Bible through, and I don't know, today you're in Leviticus 9 or somewhere and you're already about three weeks behind anyway and you're in Leviticus 9 and you just can't hang with all the rules and all the stuff that's going on in Leviticus and you're like, suddenly Satan comes on you and will say, you are no spiritual man of valor. You are no holy one. You, you are nothing. Look at you. You can't even hang for prayer. You can't even make it through your Bible reading. What happened between last night and this morning? Well, last night, at some point, you realized you were in Christ and you were living in Christ. Some point this morning, Satan has tried to convince you that you're back in Adam. And what you have to do is say, you know what? I never go back. I am always in Christ. Also, I have to realize that My being in Christ doesn't depend on what I do, it's what God has done for me. So my reading the Bible or praying for an hour a day, uh, as beneficial as they may be, they do not declare me right before God. What declares me right before God is what Jesus Christ did on the cross. He went and died for my sin. Nothing, Paul has just made it clear in Romans 6 and 7 that there is nothing you could do to (laughs) declare yourself right, that it's all a result of what God has done for you. As a result, what you have to do is remind yourself and remind the devil of who you are in Jesus. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am right because God says I'm right. I am no longer condemned. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Instead, walk in righteousness. You are free from sin. Now, by the way, I'll just flip this over a little bit. Does this mean you'll never sin again? Hello? It's not a trick question. You may be thinking it is. It's really not. It's not a trick question. No, you're going to sin again. You're going to fall. You're going to stumble. I, I'm sorry. I wish I could tell you. There's, here's ten steps to never sin again. Uh, I haven't found those steps yet. And I don't think there are those steps while we're still battling through in this life. But my stumbling and falling does not mean I am no longer in Christ. I, am, I, I stumble and fall, but I still am because of what Christ did for me, not because of what I've done. I'm no longer... A sinner. Now, Paul, Paul already hears you, by the way. Paul already hears your argument. So, if grace keeps overcoming sin, does that mean I should sin more so that grace can abound even more? Heck no, he says. No, that is not. You're, you're, you are trying to cooperate with God, but you're not going to be able to do it on the level you want to, but grace will still abound, but that doesn't mean we qu- quit trying. Are you with me? On that, we are victors over sin and death. Verses 3 and 4 of Romans 8 he says, For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. That's what Jesus did on the cross. And so he condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. According to the Spirit. This new humanity that we walk in is not a life according to our former nature, the sin nature, but it's, a, it's according to the Spirit. Second point you have the ability to have victory in your mind. Victory over thoughts. I know, I'm with you. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death. But the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. Now, here's the truth Paul is trying to say to us When you come to know Jesus Christ, you receive the empowered presence of the Spirit of God that indwells you, and now you have a new mindset. Before you came to know Christ, I know Paul's language is really abrupt, but he's saying basically your mind was sin and death. You had this prism that you viewed all the world through, and it was broken. It's like a broken prism, and everything is sin and death. But when you come to know Christ, you get a new worldview. You get a new mindset. You get a new way of thinking. You're living not by your own strength, but by the power of the Spirit who indwells you. So when you view an event, you should view it through the power of the Spirit who indwells you. I've used this illustration before. I heard it from Peter Lord the first time I ever heard it. But Peter Lord says there are only two channels in this world. There's channel one and there's channel two. Channel one is God's channel. When you come to know Jesus Christ, you get tuned, so to speak, to a new channel. And everything you view is through God's channel. Channel two is the world's view. The way you perceive things, and it's 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 self-centered, it's askew, it's never right. Things don't get interpreted properly. So, let's say that, um, let's, I'll pick Marty. Let's say Marty is in the foyer. And um, uh, I'm walking through the foyer, and Marty says uh, something like, Hey, Pastor Bart. Hey, Bart, how you doing? Want to go off? Want to go to lunch? And I don't say anything. I just keep going. I, I, I don't acknowledge that Marty has even talked to me. Now, Marty has an opportunity at this very moment to figure out which channel he's going to be in tune with. Right? He's, he can view, and through channel two, he can say, wow, Pastor Bart is stuck up. Pastor Bart doesn't want to talk to me. He thinks he's really better than me. Uh, or what did I do to offend Pastor Bard? What did I do to make him mad at me? Why is he not talking to me? Um, he may feel condemned or he may condemn me. One of those two. Because he's interpreting it through his natural eyes. I said hello. I initiated a conversation. Now he's not saying anything to me. <clears throat> Maybe if he tunes into Channel 1 and he's like, you know, that's just not like Bart to not at least acknowledge or not hear, God, is he going deaf? Or um, maybe, maybe, maybe he's had a really hard day. Maybe he is just preoccupied with something. Maybe some tragedies happen in our church. God, give me a word about how I can pray for Bart at this moment. Do you see the difference in life view when you start to view things from a different mindset. Many of us are stuck on a channel we should not be watching. We need to allow God to change the channel of our lives and stay in this mindset of the Spirit, the way we view the world. Paul Paul is not just whistling in the wind here when he says, you have a new mind. I mean, I got to at some point in faith believe that i really do have the mind of christ i really do have the ability to think differently than what i think i I mean listen think how radically this might change your marriage hello if you viewed things from a different channel from a different point of view you view your spouse in a different light why in the world is she acting like that what what is going on And not saying in that tone of voice would be helpful, I know. But um, at some point, getting a perspective about why, Lord, show me what's going on with my spouse so that I can pray for them. And and it'll help get you off this self-centered, here's me, here's the universe perspective. Paul says we have this ability to have victory in our minds to have victory over our thoughts. We have the ability at some point to take our thoughts captive. Listen, I I believe having the right mindset is going to be all the difference in the world for us. It It will help us overcome circumstances instead of being overcome by them. Because we'll now view circumstances in a whole different light, a whole different point of view, a whole different perspective. Listen, ask God to give you his perspective on, I don't know, on your work. God, what is work for? What is money for? Let me view it the way you view work and money and relationships, my family, my children, my spouse, my, my life ahead, the, the destiny. Ask God to give you his, his perspective on the body of Christ, the church. What is, God, what is he trying to do here? I don't want to take rabbit trails too far. But many times, I'll have people say, you know, Bart, I'm, I'm leaving fullness because it's just not meeting my needs anymore. And, and I've gotten to the point, I'm getting cynical. I have to tell you, as I get older, I'm getting I'm just like, well, great, go on. Because we are never designed to meet your needs. That's not what the church is all about. It's not about you. It's about us. It's about the body of Christ accomplishing what God wants to. Now, I don't really say that. I don't say good, go, ever. <clears throat> ah, there have been once or twice, but it's been very seldom. <laughs> it's about us together as the family of faith. Uh, get God's mindset on why we're here and what it is we're supposed to be doing. Okay, I'm going to move on. Third point, we have victory over death. Victory over death. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit of God, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. Do you you see kind of the point here? What, What happens in your spirit, man, is much more important than what happens with your body. Um, Your body is going to die. Um, Hallelujah, good news today. Your body's going to die. You're going to decay. No matter how hard you work at it to kind of prolong it, and I'm not saying you shouldn't, but no matter how far that goes, it's still limited. But because the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who lives in you. The restoration of Christ, his resurrection, assures us of resurrection. We get to walk in life. We reign in life. We have victory ultimately over death. Paul says in Corinthians 4, Therefore do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. You get to be renewed all the time, day by day. This is great news. So, outwardly, your your carton is wasting away. Your body is wasting away. Inwardly, you should be being renewed all the time and growing in him. One last thought from this passage uh, on reigning uh, victory over death. He says, therefore, brothers, we have an obligation... But it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it, for if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Paul, in this concept of reigning over death, victory over death, says that though your body is wasting away, your spirit man is being renewed. Therefore, you're not obliged to live according to sin anymore. Instead, you're obligated, your obligation is now to walk by the power of the Spirit. You have victory. Do you get... I'm only three points through, but I'm almost done, (coughs) really. Um, Do you get the idea here that the Spirit of God indwelling you is a big deal? Um, I, I hope that what you're seeing is it makes all the difference in the world. God, when he redeems you into relationship with Christ, he did not just save you to go to heaven rather than go to hell. Instead, he wants you to reign in life. To reign in life means you have victory in these areas. And you have victory because the power of God, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God is in you. So the last point is this. You you have victory over isolation. You have victory over isolation. He, let me just read the passage, and then I'll comment on it, and then I'll pray for us. He says, Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. That's, that's what we were before we came to know Jesus. But you received the Spirit of Sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children, now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. There is, no, <clears throat> there is no salvation apart from the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God draws you to God. You agree with him that Jesus Christ is the one who has the ability to save your sins, and you receive him as Lord of your life. The Spirit of God then fills you and indwells you, and now you have been adopted into the family of God. And when you're adopted into God's family, you're not just adopted into any family. You're adopted into a family where God is now your father. You can call him Abba Father, which is a very intimate term. It's like daddy, which you know, for many of us, we feel uncomfortable calling God daddy but that's the idea. It's that intimate a relationship, a relationship between you and God as Father. Now, for some people, this is a problem, I understand, because your relationships with your earthly father was so screwed up that you think, oh, I I really can't relate to what does it mean to have a good, perfect father. But God is that kind of father. He's a good, perfect father. And, And he's received you into his family, and you're a brother so to speak with jesus christ god incarnate is your brother so to speak that's the kind of family you're you're no longer isolated so you though you may feel isolated you're not god is looking for a people called out after his name a group a family of faith and you being in the family which is where you are changes everything about what you are you're now a part of god's family Let me show you how this makes a big deal. And then I'll, again, I will close and pray for us. Being a non-Christian, when you sin, when you do something wrong, it's like violating the, the law of the land. Um, like, I don't know, if you if, if, think of some law, let's keep it simple, like you speed. Let's say you go out and speed, you've broken the law, it's a violation A policeman pulls you over. You have broken the law. Now, you have to fulfill the requirements of what the law demands. Pay a ticket, go to court, whatever the case may be. But when you you sin and you're a part of God's family, it's like a family thing. Now, rather than law being the prevailing deal that's governing your relationship, like My relationship with the state is a legal thing. My relationship with God, once I become a Christian, is now a family thing. So in family, you treat transgressions, so to speak, differently than if you were in the state and the law, right? Uh, You know, uh, you see this. How you treat a child who does something wrong, and let's say they violated something against the state, How you treat them and the state treats them is totally different. I mean, it's still, your goal is what? With that child. Your goal is restoration. What can I do to help this child become all that they're supposed to be, even if they've done something wrong? What can I do to make sure that their destiny in the Lord is not short-circuited? How can I love them to a place of health? The law asks none of those questions. They want, they want their punishment, they want their condemnation, they want their price for having violated the law. The good news is that's not where you are. But many of us still think of us ourselves as there, don't we? In relationship with God. Oh, I screwed up, God's got to be mad at with me, now i got to do X, Y, Z in order to get him to be happy with me again i got to do something to make God not be mad at me. Not, to fulfill, not so that the law will be extracted from me. God doesn't see you in that light anymore. He sees you as a son. And as a son, your asking and your repentance and your desire, he wants to love you back into that relationship. And he places you in, this is what the church is all about. The church is not... This place where we try and make everybody else do right. Are you with me? I mean, too often church becomes just like a courtroom where we're trying to make everybody act right. Instead, we should be encouraging one another that we're a part of a family of faith and and we get to, together, as a family, love each other to the point of achieving God's destiny for each and every one of us. By the way, read the rest of Romans 8. It's good. Romans 8 starts about us, there's no condemnation, and it ends with no separation. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. What can separate me from the love of God? Nothing. Nothing. Because we're a part of, we're now in family. You have the ability to reign in life. Our problem with the definition of victory and reigning in life may be that we have the wrong definition. I don't think that word means what you think it means kind of thing. It doesn't. It doesn't mean I get all the money I want, all the prestige I want, the home I want, the cars I want, the stuff I... It means I get to reign in life, meaning I got victory over sin, victory over death, victory over the law, and victory over isolation. Listen, if you walk in those things and your mindset is... Proper. You will reign in life. You will reign in life. And I want to encourage you today to experience the renewal of the Holy Spirit. This can only happen if you live by the Spirit, and filled by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, walk in the presence of the Spirit. Let's pray. Stand up with me if you would. Let me pray for us to be a people who are living by the power and presence of the Spirit of God. Lord, we thank you. We bless you. We praise you. I, I want to ask, Lord, that you would um, really direct us this morning. That we would allow our lives to be filled in your, with your presence and your power and your might. Not by our own. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today who does not know Jesus Christ as one who forgives their sins and rules their life, that Spirit of God, you would draw them to Jesus today. That they would know that being a follower of Christ is not about believing that Jesus was a good man who some bad people killed on a cross, not knowing just the facts about his life, but about knowing him personally. And Spirit of God, I pray that you would fill us all to overflowing afresh and anew today to understand that in this relationship, we, we can't do it on our own. But that you give us the power by your presence to accomplish it. And I pray that we will be filled this morning with the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. So come, Holy Spirit. Fill this place. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill our lives. So that we can reign in life. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. We thank you. Before we leave, let's just sing a song of praise to the Lord. A song of thanksgiving. Just to allow the Spirit of God to to seal this truth in our hearts and our lives.